We're going to talk about self-control, which is super awesome. We're going to read our scripture, our main scripture, 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, do you guys believe this verse? His divine power has given us everything we need. We're going to read this progression later on, and it starts with faith. Add to your faith, and then it lists all these things. If you don't believe this, then you miss the faith part, okay? So you got to believe this verse. His divine power has given us everything we need. Verse 4. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. He has given us his very great and precious promises. I was reading a lot this week in the book of Deuteronomy, and I'll talk a little bit later why I did that. In the book of Deuteronomy, there's this tremendous thing about if we obey love and fear God, if we obey his commands, that he will bless and multiply what we do. There's a common misconception in Christianity, and people will follow Jesus today, in that we should be poor, and that we should have no money, and we should just give up everything. And uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says the opposite thing, that if we obey and trust God, he will multiply everything that we do. We can see it throughout the Bible that he wants to bless us and he he wants to give us these things, but we just have to trust him, we have to love him, we have to obey what he says. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. Back in verse 10, it says that if you do these things, if you do this progression, that you will never fall. That's a tremendous thing to say, isn't it? And if the Bible says that if we do these things, we will never fall, you think we should pay attention to it? Think maybe we should take it seriously? Maybe we should read it more than once? I'm thinking so. You know, another way that you can never fall is the Spirit of God, you know, the Holy Spirit knows everything. God knows everything. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And He speaks to us and He guides us in life. I was listening to a pastor uh, by the name of Keith Moore, and he put this in a funny way. You know, the Holy Spirit is the best mechanic in the world. The Holy Spirit knows the most about farming or the most about anything, the most about another person. If we are in tune to what he's saying, if we are sensitive to his spirit and hear his still small voice, and we do what he says, do you think we'll ever, we'll ever screw up? Ever say something wrong? I don't think so. So now you've got two things. You will never fall if you follow this progression. And if you're always listening to the Holy Spirit speak to you and guide you, you're not going to screw up either. So uh, now it's easy. Uh, You've got two ways to never fall. But we're going to talk about self-control. It's the part four in this series. And do you believe it's good to have some self-control? Yeah, I think so. Maybe you've seen some people that maybe in the, in the streets when you walk around or just some people that you know that you maybe think maybe you should have a little bit more self-control. I'm really excited to talk about this. Uh, We're going to talk about having self-control in the words that you say. Words have power. Uh, And then we're going to talk about self-control and breaking free from addiction. So we're going to read Proverbs 18, 20 through 21. From the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. With the harvest from his lips, he is satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Have you ever said something 
And maybe you're like, I need that back. Maybe just as soon as you said it, you're thinking, that was not good. I wish I could take that back. I've had that happen a couple times. Have you ever told somebody something and you maybe regretted it? Have you ever had somebody speak something to you that was destructive and hurtful? Something about who you are. Maybe they said it to your face, maybe behind your back. And they said it to you and it really hurt who you were. Boy, doesn't that happen too much? All too often, people just say whatever with their words. And this passage, verse 21, the tongue has the power of life and death. What does the tongue have the power of? Life and death. The words you say are so important. And if we just let anything we think just come out, boy, it might be damaging. It has the power of life and death. There was a story, I don't remember exactly when, but it was somebody who was having suicidal thoughts and somebody, this friend that he had, convinced him to commit suicide. I believe it was over text message. Convinced him to commit suicide. The words in this situation literally had the power of life and death. The words have the power of life and death. If we just say whatever, if we just say evil things, it's going to be harmful to people. It's going to hurt people. So we need to be able to control it. Suicide is something that's just coming rampant in this nation, and we really need to come against it. We need to be praying and coming alongside of the people because a lot of times people have struggles and things that are going on on the inside, and nobody knows. Their family members don't know. Their friends don't know. There was also somebody who committed suicide that had D1 scholarships to multiple sports. Coming out of high school, he was this really smart kid, was you know, the popular kid in high school, and there he goes, commit suicide. You never know when somebody's hurting. So if you say something that's damaging to somebody, and you just let your words be whatever, it could have the power of life and death. So we need to control our words. How do we do that? Probably good to find out. Luke 6.45. This answer some of you may not like. I don't know that I like it. But the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So if you're speaking evil all the time, if you're speaking garbage over people, then it's not a mouth problem, not a tongue problem, but a problem that you have is a problem with your heart. It's a problem with your heart. So if you're just saying whatever words you want to say and you have no filter and you just say every word that comes to your mind and you say evil, destructive things, you have a heart problem. It's what the Bible says. So if you're feeding yourself all the time with unhealthy music or bad friends or you're looking at the news and you're getting all depressed because of all the things that are happening, guess what's going to come out? It's going to be garbage. It's going to be evil. If you feed yourself with evil things, evil things come out. Garbage in, garbage out. So what are you filling yourself up with? What should we be filled up with? Well, there's a few answers to that. You've got prayer. You've got Bible reading. Both of those you can do on your own. You can come to church. This will fill you up, hopefully. It should. If you engage, worship. You know, there's sermons outside of this place that you can look up online in three seconds. Boom, you got a great sermon. You should be filling yourself up on the way to work or whatever. All the time, listen to sermons, listen to the Word. Audio Bible, reading your Bible. If you fill yourself up with good things, good things are going to come out. You know, this book, this is the very word of God. The God of the universe who spoke the earth into being wrote down things for us to do. He didn't just leave us to go wander around and do whatever and have no idea what to do, but he gave us his very word written on pages in a book and we toss it on the ground in the corner of our house and we let dust grow on it. 
It's the very word of God. And I'm telling you, if you decide to read your Bible every day, it will change the actions that you do and it will change the words that you speak. Because when you get the very words of God in your heart and it spills over and that starts to overflow, that starts to overflow from your heart, it changes the things that you do. It changes the things that you do. It was fun because at camp, the preacher, uh, Wayne Northup, talked about how he had made the decision to read his Bible every day, no matter what, because he needed to fill himself up. And uh, it was quite resonating with me. A year ago, I had made that same decision that every single day, no matter if I was tired or busy that day, if I got home at 8 p.m., if I got home at 3 or 5 in the morning, I was going to read my Bible, because I like to read my Bible at the end of the day, because when I wake up, I just have no cognitive ability at all, so I can't understand what I'm reading. So I, I read it at night. No matter what time I get home, I read this. And you know what? I missed a couple days. And that's fine. You can miss a couple days. That's fine. But just in general, if you commit to reading this every day, it will change your life. Because then out of the overflow of your heart comes the very words of God. Out of the overflow of your heart. So you should be praying, reading the Bible, listening to sermons. It's all super, super important. The difference between the people that make it and those that don't is dedication to the word. James 1, 19 through 21. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. In this last verse, it talks about having self-control and getting rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. But the first verse in James 1.19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. So again, if you're having problems with the words that you say and having self-control over the words and things you say, because it has the power of life and death, if you're having problems with that, it might be that you're talking too much. Be slow to speak. It might be that you're talking too much. You think if you're talking all the time and you're talking with a friend and you're just like, you're just, you're just speaking constantly, just like bobbing on them with your words. You think you might say something wrong or you might stumble over something? I'm thinking so. If the first thing you do when you enter a conversation is to speak instead of listen, you think maybe sometimes you might have the wrong information, the wrong context, and you might say something wrong? So the first thing it says to do is to be quick to listen. It doesn't say the first thing you should do is to be slow to speak, but the first thing you should do is replace the bad thing with the good thing. The first thing you should do is not have self-control, but the first thing you should do is have goodness. That's what the progression back in 2 Peter talked about. It said, add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. So the first thing you do isn't to have self-control. The first thing you do is to have the strength to do the right thing. And the right thing in this case is to be quick to listen. So the first thing you should do is listen. And I tell you what, if you listen more and you speak less, you're going to become angry less. If you speak less, you listen more. You're going to become angry less. And uh, one of the things you can do, you can also catch yourself when you're getting angry and also in in your thoughts and things like that. You can catch yourself while you're angry. And then when you catch yourself, just pray, remove yourself for a little bit. Pray, maybe you need to read your Bible, something, fill yourself up with something else, okay? And you'll find that as you catch yourself, sooner and sooner and sooner, you'll be able to catch yourself as you get angry until anger starts to fade away. 
Now, this happens in your thoughts as well. If you're having problems with your thoughts or you're having angry thoughts or thinking the wrong words or uh, maybe you've got other problems with addiction that we'll talk about later, if you catch yourself thinking about it and then stop it, you say, Satan, you shut up and you get out, you catch it at this point and then over time, sooner and sooner and sooner and sooner, you'll catch it faster and faster and faster until you can catch it immediately. Make sure you're filling yourself up with the word. Be quick to listen. When you're talking about self-control, it's probably good to look at what Jesus did, right? So we're going to read Luke 4, 1 through 13, starting, and of course, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Was Jesus full of the Holy Spirit? Do you think he was maybe reading his Bible? You think maybe he was praying? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Now, 40 days without food, that's rough, I tell you what. I haven't fasted for 40 days. I don't know if you have, but I can't imagine that's uh, overly fun. I think you might tend to develop an attitude over 40 days of no eating. Might get a little bit sharp. You know, they combine hungry with angry and you get hangry. You know, you haven't had food. I've gotten hangry after eating in that same day. This is 40 days. You think he might be susceptible to some temptation. We see that he was tempted by the devil. Let's see what the devil does. Verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. So this is the first of three temptations that we see recorded in this book. And Satan decides that he is going to tempt Jesus with turning stones into bread. I bet you after 40 days, he puts some chipotle in front of you and you might be thinking, hmm, that's looking good. So this is probably a good way to tempt him, I would think. But what does he respond with? He responds with scripture. He responds with the words of God. Verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So this is the second temptation that we see. And what does he respond with? He responds with scripture again. You think maybe when you're tempted, maybe you should have scripture memorized. Maybe if you're tempted, you should quote the scripture Maybe Jesus was overflowing with the words of God so that when temptation came, when the hard times came, it didn't change his attitude, but he was able to then speak the very words of God, not speak evil. He responds with the very words of God. Verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not stroke your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So this is the third and last time that we see recorded that the devil tempts him at this time. And you see that the third time that he was tempted, he also responds with scripture. Are you seeing a trend here? You know, it was interesting uh, in the little footnotes or whatever you call them at the bottom of your Bible. It shows that each and every one of these references is found in the book of Deuteronomy as well, which is in the Old Testament. Once I read that, I was like, whew, probably should read the book of Deuteronomy. So I started reading that this week. You know, people ignore so much. Sometimes they just ignore the Bible, but sometimes they ignore the Old Testament too. And there's really, 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 really good stuff in the Old Testament. There really is. 
Really, you guys got to read the word of God. It changes you. It changes what's in the overflow of your heart. It changes you. Jesus responded every single time with scripture. And you know, Satan, he has been tempting for thousands of years. Okay, you are not the first person he's tempted. He has a lot of experience doing this. He's, I believe, gotten better over time at tempting people and deceiving people. One of the greatest ways he deceives people is when you're maybe in worship and you're thinking about raising your hands and then you feel like maybe people are looking at you or people will judge you if you raise your hands and you worship. You kind of feel like maybe they'll say something to you afterwards or something like that. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I have experienced it as well. You know, if you, if you raise your hands in church, people are going to think better of you. They're not going to think bad of you. That's the most ridiculous thing ever. And that's how good he is at deceiving that he can turn something like that into a scary thing. And we see that the devil decides to tempt Jesus after 40 days of not eating. He knows when to get you. You see, there's easy buttons in our life. Some people, it's a different thing. Some people, it's another. You know, you've got alcohol. You've got drugs. You've got pornography. You've got words. You've got anger. And they have these easy buttons that when the devil wants to take them down, the devil just goes boop and they fall. He goes boop and then they sin. It's an easy button, something they turn to, an addiction they turn to. So what's your easy button? There should be no easy buttons. We should not have an easy button for the devil just to move us around with. That's ridiculous. And yet it happens. There are easy buttons. But you know, just the same as the devil has learned how to tempt you, you can learn how he tempts us. So when you face a temptation, you can start to learn from it. I started learning things that were putting me in a position to become tempted and found out that there were certain times that the devil would tempt me and try to get in my thoughts. One of the greatest times he does that is when you stop reading your Bible. The difference between the people that make it and the people that don't is their dedication to the Word of God. When you start slipping away from the Word of God, temptation increases and it gets harder to resist and harder and harder and harder and harder until you just can't take it anymore. Find out what your easy button is and get rid of it. Toss it away. This is how we get self-control. So the main concept I'm going to talk about next is emptying yourself and filling yourself up. So you got to empty yourself of the garbage, of the evil, whatever it is, the addiction. And then you got to fill yourself up with the word of God, with the spirit of God that comes through prayer and going to church and reading your Bible, listening to sermons, other places than here too. Fill yourself up with the spirit of God. Don't empty and then not fill. Empty and fill. The second thing is to cut your thoughts off at the source. So when you're thinking about maybe something that's going to be a stumbling block for you or something that's going to be a sin, you need to get rid of that thought immediately. You might not be able to catch yourself immediately. Sometimes you just kind of start to drift in thought and then you kind of lose where you are and then you start thinking about something and then boom, as soon as you realize you need to say, Satan, you shut up and you get out. As soon as you realize, and then as you do that continuously, and as you do that more and more and more, you'll find that sooner and sooner and sooner and sooner, you will be able to kick Satan out of your thoughts until he is not in your thoughts anymore. Okay? You got to kick him out. You got to say, shut up and get out. It's not the kindest thing to say, but you need to say it to him. We're going to kind of transition here. I want to talk about something that's often pushed under the rug. It makes a lot of people uncomfortable. You ready for that? Then I'm going to relate my story to it. And I believe the principles that you apply in getting free from one addiction apply to others as well. It's what I believe. So those two principles of emptying yourself and filling yourself and then uh, controlling your thoughts, kicking Satan out of your thoughts, that's the two main things from breaking free from addiction that I found. So the thing I want to talk about today is pornography. 
It makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Anytime somebody says the word pornography or they say sex or anything like that, people hide away. And what's happening nowadays is in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, the thing with pornography was you had to find it. Okay, but the culture has changed now, and with the internet, it finds you. So when I was in third grade, I was sitting in church with a couple of friends, and as I was sitting in church, my friend pulls out his phone, he pulls up a picture on his phone, and he wants to show it to me. I'm saying, hey guys, let's just listen. The pastor's talking. Let's just listen to what he's saying. We need to keep our focus. And he kept bugging me and bugging me and bugging me. And uh, he ended up putting his phone in his pocket, but out of the corner of my eye, I saw what it was. Okay, there was a pornographic photo on his phone while I was in church in third grade. It finds you. Then in fourth grade, it happened again, uh, not with friends, but I ended up just seeing it while I was on my computer, and it happened probably three, four times. That's in fourth grade. Okay, and we shy away from these conversations. That's ridiculous. It's becoming more of a reality that we need to have these conversations sooner and sooner and sooner with our kids, because it finds you. It finds you. So then I didn't fall into pornography at that time when I was in third or fourth grade, but it it still was in my mind and it lingered in my mind. And then when I hit middle school, a lot of things happen when you hit middle school, and I ended up falling into it. Now, it wasn't just a quick progression like that, but it happened slowly as I started drifting away from the Word of God. You see, what happened was we used to have a youth group small group before church, and in that youth group small group, the youth leader would ask us if we heard something from God this week and what what we read about. And constantly, time after time after time that he asked that, I would have something to say, and I never said it. I was too scared to say it. Now, people wouldn't mock me for what I said. You're not going to mock a seventh grader for trying to hear from God and speaking what he heard from God. That's absurd. And yet that's what creeps into your mind because Satan is so good at deceiving. He's so good at it. Recognize how he deceives you. We can do that. And so time after time after time, I couldn't say it. It's like my mouth was frozen. I couldn't open my mouth and say what I wanted to say. Then later, that same thing with hand raising, I would raise my hands, and I found that when I raised my hands, engaged, and had the Spirit of God come upon me, I would have a better week, and when I didn't, I would have a worse week. I found that out, but then over time, it just was like, ah, what if people are looking at me? I'm sitting in the second row. See, it happened in the back, too. What if someone comes in? You know, what if the sound man looks at me? Ah, And I couldn't do it. I couldn't raise my hand. I couldn't engage in worship. So I stopped engaging in worship. I stopped engaging in church. I stopped engaging with the word. And you know what happened? Slowly but surely, I fell into sin. And I fell into pornography. And I had done it a couple times. And then uh, fortunately, my parents were having a conversation about internet security. And it just uh, scared me. And so I stopped. I had only done it a few times. Then a couple years later, I had ended up getting found out about what I had done previously, and uh, we're kind of working through those things and uh, setting some things up to try to succeed, and I ended up going to uh, senior teen camp, and it was one of the best spiritual times of my life. But even though it was the best spiritual time of my life, when I came back, I read my Bible for a week and a half, two weeks maybe. And then after that, I fell apart from the word. I stopped engaging with the spirit. I stopped engaging with the word. And you know what happened? It didn't happen immediately. But once I stopped engaging, my spiritual life became dead. It was gone. Nowhere to be seen. I didn't read my Bible for like four years. And to put this in context, I'm a pastor's kid. For people that are growing up in maybe not as good as homes as I did, for things like that, they're going to be even more susceptible to this stuff. And I'll put it this way. Of the people that I've talked to, of the people I've had this conversation with, I haven't found one person that hasn't gone through this. That's my age. 
Okay? This is a very prevalent thing. We need to not shy away from this. This is very important. Okay? We need to have these conversations. So I ended up falling away from the word of God, and a couple years later, I found myself addicted to it, couldn't get out of it. It hurt my mood. There would be times where for days, for a few days, I would just get in this weird thing and just, I don't know if I'd call it depression, but just sad, and I wouldn't talk, and it was just, it was terrible. My mom can attest to this. It was the worst in middle school, but it, it stayed there because I didn't deal with it. I wasn't filling myself up with the word of God. And what happens when you get into addiction, when you get into pornography, drugs, alcohol, or things like that, you start getting all this shame on you, all this garbage on you, and man, does it feel terrible. It weighs on you. It brings you down, and it brings so many other things down with you. It brings your whole life down. That's what I found, and I'm, I'm not going to go into some of the specifics. I ended up making some other mistakes, and they weren't tied to lust or pornography or anything like that, but I ended up making other mistakes and just screwing up in a variety of ways that weren't good and could have derailed my life. So then I decided that I wasn't going to talk to anybody, but I was going to try to quit just myself. I wasn't going to bring it up to anybody, not my parents, not my brothers, not anybody that I knew, and I was just going to try to quit. And for a good three weeks, I, I made it. But after that, I came to the realization that it wasn't worth it. You see, every moment of every day when I tried to quit sucked because it was constantly in my head. I wasn't kicking the thoughts out. Okay, Satan was in my thoughts 24-7. When I went to bed, when I woke up throughout the day, he was constantly in there bugging me about it. And after three weeks, I decided I can't do this anymore. This isn't worth it. See, when you empty yourself and you don't fill yourself up with the Spirit of God, I didn't read my Bible during that time. I just tried to quit on my own and just grip my teeth, and it didn't work. When you empty yourself and you don't fill yourself up with the Spirit of God, you fall. It doesn't work. He's the one that sets you free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So have the Spirit of the Lord overflowing from your heart. See, during these times when I was chained by sin and in bondage, I would oftentimes come into the living room with the intent of talking about it. But once I got there, my mouth was frozen. I couldn't do it. I would walk in, both my parents are there, and I couldn't do it. There was one time, maybe twice, that I ended up writing out an entire text message, explaining everything, and as I was about to hit send, I went and just hit the clear button. I couldn't talk about it. And so many times when people are hit down by addiction, shame hits them, and it brings you down, and you can't talk about it. You come to church, you put your face on. You come to church, and you put your smile on. You act like everything's going well. People ask you, how's it going? How's your life going? You say good, but on the inside, back at your home, your house is falling apart. On the inside, you're addicted to pornography. You're addicted to drugs or alcohol or whatever it is. You get angry all the time. You say the wrong words. And then when you get to church, you put that smile on. So oftentimes, it's not easy to talk about. But we need to start having these conversations. Then I ended up going to the Boundary Waters. I was sitting on a rock, and as I was doing that, I was listening to worship music, which wasn't a thing I often did. And I was listening to worship music, and as I was sitting on that rock, I was looking out on the clouds, and I thought, what if Jesus came back today? What if he came back today? What have I done? What do you say? Well done, good and faithful servant. I had neglected him for so long, for years. Something like six years I didn't take him seriously. And I'm pretty young, so you can do the math on that of what percentage of my life that is. (laughs) Pretty large percentage. Six years was a long time. Six years is a long time to be dead in sin. Six years, any amount of time is a long time to be apart from God. And when I was there, this overwhelming amount of fear came upon me and thinking, what have I done? I need to change something. 
this overwhelming amount of fear, and I decided I need to change something different. So then later on, me and my dad were uh, in a canoe, and a couple other people had gone on this kind of day trip with us, and uh, on our way back, I decided I'm going to bring this up. I think we're far away from the other people. I'm just going to bring this up right now, and we're, we're going to talk about it. And uh, as, as soon as I was going to say it, it started to rain. And as I was sitting there paddling along, I thought, well, here it goes again. Here it is. Here's the text message again that I couldn't send. Here's the time I walked into the living room with the intent of talking about it, and I couldn't do it. Here it is again, and I couldn't do it. Now I'm like, it's raining. We can't stay out in the rain. And as I was thinking about that, that fear started coming back up in me. I was like, what have I done? I've got a calling on my life. I need to change something. This isn't right. I need to do something. And I thought, no. I said, no, no, no. This is not happening again. I will not do this again. I will not be able to not open my mouth again. I will be able to speak. And I said, hey, maybe we can't talk about this right now, but later on today, can we talk about something? And he said, what do you want to talk about? And I said, I'll tell you later. (laughs) And as soon as we hit the shore, it stopped raining. You see, the devil, he puts these roadblocks in front of you because you know what? He is scared of you. He sees the value in you, what you can do, the calling on your life. And he puts these roadblocks in front of you. He is scared of what God can do through you. And he wants to shut your mouth. He wants you to hit the clear button. He's going to send the rain. He's going to send the storms. He's going to send the temptation. He's going to press the easy button because you know what? You have so much value in Christ. There's so much you can do. doesn't matter if you aren't going to be a pastor or you aren't going to be a missionary. Everybody has an amazing calling on their life and every single person that follows the will of God will save people from hell. Every single person that follows the will of God. Every single one. This is important stuff. So we ended up having the the conversation. We ate, and then I was sitting there. I think I was sitting in the tent. It was a long couple hours waiting for him to to eat and then have him bring it back up. And I was thinking, well, maybe he'll forget about it. Fortunately, he didn't. We ended up going out in the canoe, and we ended up talking about it. We got to be having these conversations. That uh, That was a year ago. And I haven't looked at pornography since because... I have this amazing amount of self-control. I tried it by myself. It didn't work. What happens is when you get the Spirit of God with you, He helps you out. And I can tell you, it's not twice as easy. It's infinitely as easy. Something I don't even have to think about anymore. Because I started kicking Satan out of my thoughts. I started catching it sooner and sooner and sooner and sooner. So that's the key thing. And I believe that that transcends just pornography. I believe that goes into alcohol and drugs and, and anger and things like that. There's a list of things. He wants to help us out. Let's read Matthew 12, 43 through 45 real quick. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. If you caught that, they put this person's heart in uh, a picture of being a house. And he empties his house, he cleaned his house, he swept it clean, and he didn't fill himself up with anything. So later on, not only did that spirit come back, that evil spirit come back, but seven more evil than itself came back. When you empty yourself and you don't fill yourself up with the spirit of God, this is what happens. It's not a good thing. You fall. You relapse. It doesn't work. If that person had left the house filled with the Spirit of God, it would have changed everything. Those spirits couldn't have come back in. 
Darkness is just the absence of light. So when the light comes in, darkness cannot be there too, unless you're hiding a closet or two. But when your house is filled up with that light, darkness can't enter into it. Fill yourself up with the Spirit of God. I kind of want to go back to that Second Peter. Second Peter 1.3. At the beginning of this, I asked you if you believed this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, you will not be able to break free, okay? This progression, you cannot start it unless you have faith in this, okay? And my fall in middle school, it happened because I didn't have the strength to do the right thing first. So when it came time to have the strength to not do the wrong thing, I fell. I sinned. So have the strength to do the right thing, okay? That's why it starts with faith, and from faith, goodness, It doesn't start with self-control. When I tried to make it those three weeks, I started with self-control and threw goodness, knowledge, faith, and all those other things out the window. I thought self-control was what it was all about, but God wants you to start with goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. His divine power has given you everything you need to control your mouth. His divine power has given you everything you need to stop watching pornography. His divine power has given you everything you need to run away from alcohol. His divine power has given you everything you need to break free from drug addiction. His divine power has given you everything you need to defeat depression and replace it with joy. His divine power has given you everything you need to replace anxiety with peace, the peace that passes all understanding. His divine power has given you everything you need to start over again, be made new and transformed by the blood of Christ. This is the promise of God. This is what a relationship with Jesus Christ can do for you. That is the gospel. Do you believe it? His divine power has given us everything we need. No, I didn't have the strength to do the right thing, so when it came time to have the strength to not do the wrong thing, I fell. Got to be able to control your thoughts. We're going to put 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 up. This will be our communion scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He wants to be reconciled with you. And you know what? It doesn't matter how many times maybe you haven't had self-control. It doesn't matter how many times maybe, you, maybe you've fallen or what, how great the sin is. His grace is sufficient for you. And he came and died and humbled himself so mightily to come and die and rise again for your sins so you can be free. And I can tell you that the life dead in sin compared to the life with Christ is not comparable. The joy you get from God, from doing his work, from doing his will, you don't lose a thing. And sometimes it seems terrible when maybe we're hanging out with with the wrong friends or the wrong people and we maybe want to stick with our addiction or stick with our sin. And it seems terrible to remove those things like we're going to be missing something. But you know what happens when you get rid of bad friends? You get new friends. When you get rid of alcohol and drugs and pornography and these things, you get something new. You get something amazing. And that's a life with God. He wants to be reconciled with you. He wants to know you. And the same God that spoke the universe into being 
The same God who changed me, the same God who wrote my story, is writing yours. And he's speaking something over you. That same God. If only you'll listen and do what he says. I'm scared that maybe somebody's going to walk out of this place unchanged, that somebody's going to walk into this place with an addiction and walk out with that same addiction. If you want to make a change, you make that change right now. Tell somebody, become accountable to somebody, and you start to make a change, okay? You got to make this change now. Because if it's not now, it's never. That's a scary thing. Eternity is a long time to regret a decision. It's a long, long time. So is God your number one priority or is it sin? What is your priority? If you really look at your time, is he your number one priority? 